it's a two and a half page sheet with the 70 non-clinical jobs that I'm aware of. There's actually more than 70, but it has a resource for each. So if you haven't had your mind blown yet about like what's out there, that's the easiest thing to do. Hello, everyone. We're so excited you're here with us today. I'm Dr. Jen Barna with Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast brought to you by Doc Working Thrive. Please check us out at docworking.com for more information on how you can subscribe today. And now on today's episode, we're going to be talking about physicians and non-clinical careers. And I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. John Jerica, host of the Physician Non-Clinical Careers podcast, family practice physician with multiple non-clinical career tracks in his own journey. Welcome, John, to Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Good morning. I'm very happy to be here. It's great fun. I've been waiting for this for a little while. Terrific. Well, I'm so honored to have you here. I love your podcast. I love the concept of exploring non-clinical careers and exploring side careers as a physician. So I'm very excited to hear your perspective. And I'd love it if you could start out and just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to where you are today. Okay. Let me try and keep it as brief as I can because I started practicing in 1986. So that was spent a little while ago, but I'm trained as a family physician. I joined a small group and I enjoyed it. Uh, I did every aspect of it, but I became interested in some side gigs. It was kind of as a moonlighting thing initially, but over the years, I started getting involved with hospital committees. I was paid as a physician advisor and a medical director for a couple of things. And then there was this push and pull in a way because I started to get a little burnt out. We started having issues with Medicare regulations and I had several lawsuits that luckily I was dropped from, but all these things hit me and I decided that I really wanted to look at doing something besides clinical medicine. And so over time, I phased into VP MA for a hospital and then the chief medical officer. And at the time I was a senior VP. So I was part of the senior executive management team. Did that for 14 years. And then I decided I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. So I left that job and opened an urgent care center with a bunch of investors. And I've been doing that for seven years. I'm the medical director and a minority shareholder in that. And along the way, started a couple of blogs and then a podcast and I got interested in non-clinical careers, not only for myself, but for others. And that's basically where I am today. Wow. You've had a very interesting trajectory. And I would love to know more about each of those steps. Like, for example, you mentioned becoming the chief medical officer. And for our listeners who are early in their careers and who may be interested in moving into that type of leadership position, I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about that experience and then you also mentioned some issues with burnout that led you to explore non-clinical careers. So I would love to talk with you more about that as well. Okay. Let me tell you some of the steps I went through, what kind of path I followed. It's not necessarily the only path, but early on, I got involved in a lot of things. I went to lots of different committee meetings, and even I went to department meetings that I wasn't a member of. I'd go to pediatrics department, ER department to kind of learn I got involved early in providing CME and I became the chair of the CME committee. I ended up becoming a surveyor for the state medical society for CME and then the ACCME ultimately. And so I was a joiner and I wanted to learn. And so I would get exposed to these different things. And because I spent a lot of time in the hospital, 
I got to know the department chairs and the department managers. So the nurse managers for quality improvement and the pharmacy. I went to the pharmacy and therapeutics committee meetings as well. So that gave me an exposure and an understanding of what went on in the hospital. Kind of the ideal situation for a hospitalist these days. I was in family medicine, but at the time the hospitalist movement hadn't even started. Now it's obviously a big deal. So I had that interest, I had the exposure, and I had opportunities where they needed someone to do a job, like a physician advisor for utilization management. So I would do that part-time, an hour or two a day, make a little extra money, wouldn't have to see as many patients. Then I decided to get involved in occupational medicine as another way to moonlight for the hospital that I was already working for. And lo and behold, they needed a medical director. So then I could do some of the management of that service line get paid for that as well as seeing patients while doing my primary care practice. And then ultimately the burnout started to phase in to where I was starting to really hate some of my patients. One skill I never learned was how to fire patients. I had a partner that could fire patients and he was always a lot happier than I was because I had these patients who were coming in every week, every two weeks. And ultimately I said, you know, I just want to move into something that doesn't involve direct patient care so much. So what I learned from that is just getting involved, learning skills, becoming chair of committees. You learn how to manage a team. You learn how to manage a meeting. And then along the way, I also got a master's in public health for the med side of things, but that provided me also some management teaching and joined the AAPL, which is American Association for Physician Leadership, which is an awesome organization that teaches physicians how to be leaders and how to be managers. And I just gradually shifted my time more and more administrative and less and less clinical until I stopped seeing patients completely for about four years. I love what you said there, John, about how important it is to serve on all of the committees that you served on early on, because sometimes that can feel like time that's not well spent when you're asked to be on a lot of committees. And of course, when you're in that phase of your career, you're not getting paid to be on those committees. And at least my experience has been that your list of patients that you're scheduled to see that day doesn't change because you have committee meetings. So it's really kind of added on and it can lengthen your day. And of course, it is important as well to be able to set boundaries and be able to decide for yourself which things you want to serve on. But you bring up a great point that if ultimately moving toward administrative work, a leadership position such as a chief medical officer, all of that service that you do through those committees and through other organizations in the medical arena, wherever you are in your state, for example, that really ultimately adds up. And should you ever choose to pursue a leadership position within your own institution or outside of your institution, keeping track of all of that service really can serve you well. And so I just appreciate you kind of going through that with us because it makes a lot of sense when we hear you say it. Let me comment on a couple of things there that you pointed out and just to focus on, you're better off becoming the chair of one or two committees than to be a member of five or 10, because a member of a committee really doesn't do anything except vote on things. So you don't learn unless you're the chair in some of these meetings. There's also volunteer things outside the hospital. I was on the hospital board for several years before I was actually employed by the hospital because they needed physicians on the board that were interested. And I've served on the board of a hospice, which is an awesome place to learn about finances and planning and project planning and all that. And the other thing you said is really important is keeping track of the accomplishments as you go, what you actually did, because eventually that's going to be on your LinkedIn profile and going to be on your resume. So awesome advice. Well, 
I appreciate hearing it from you as well, because I didn't necessarily do that myself in terms of tracking all of that. And I think it's also a great idea and goes along with tracking to give yourself credit for all of that work and acknowledge it and celebrate it in your own way. And so you mentioned some feelings of burnout that led you in the direction of exploring these non-clinical options. And then ultimately you took a break, you said for four years from working directly with patients, but then you came back around to working with patients. Is that correct? And I'm curious what led you there. I had no intention of doing that. Once I stopped seeing patients at the hospital setting, I was moving forward as a CMO and very busy. And really the job was a very good job, paid well, and it was fun. But I started to get this feeling like I wanted to do something and slow down as I approached retirement. You can't really slow down as a chief medical officer. And if I had stayed on, you know, maybe even become the COO or something, that's a full-time job. And as I was approaching, you know, this slowdown period that was in medical practice, you can slow down. Again, with the entrepreneurial bent that I have, I said, okay, someone actually reached out to me on LinkedIn, asked me to be a medical director for this new urgent care center and you know, invest in it. And so I looked it over and did my due diligence and I thought, okay, this will be good. It wasn't easy. I would not recommend that. I would recommend that someone continue to see patients part-time if they have any inkling that they're going to go back into practice. But I had to take my boards again. They had just kind of been a year overdue. Luckily, I was still licensed, but I had to reapply for my DEA. And it's possible that if you find yourself in this situation after three or four years, you won't be able to get malpractice insurance. So luckily I could overcome all those issues and I did. And I did focus on urgent care. Urgent care is a very narrow part of family medicine. So it's not as difficult to you know, learn those skills back or refresh yourself as let's say going back into a subspecialty or something. If you haven't done a procedure or seen patients in four years, it'd be very difficult. Well, it's great to hear that it is actually possible to come back because that is one of the concerns that we have in our careers is that if we do step away, it can be really difficult to come back. So I'm glad to hear that success story of having accomplished that. And you mentioned your entrepreneurial spirit and you know interests. When did that begin and when did you notice that for the first time? You know, I've always had that. It's part of the reason I did the side gigs and the side hustles. I remember doing different strange things like trying to sell online knickknacks or something back when I was, you know, in my 20s or 30s. My <laughs> wife actually started a business 11 years ago with my help. And she has a home helpers franchise. And again, that kind of reignited my interest in doing something myself entrepreneurial. But it's in the family. Half of my siblings own their own businesses. Terrific. I love hearing stories of people, you know, that have always had that and in retrospect sort of see that coming along. And so you've really put that to use and you've turned it into a podcast. When did you first get the idea for the Physician Non-Clinical Careers podcast? Let's see. It was about five years ago, more or less. I was writing a blog about contracting for physicians as employees because I did a lot of that as a CMO. And then that morphed into a different blog where I was focusing on my experiences as chief medical officer. And as I was looking around, I knew there were lots of other jobs in the hospital and health system environment, jobs in pharma and jobs here and there. And I wanted to learn about them. So at the time I was listening to podcasts, I really enjoy listening. As I was working in the urgent care, I had a 90 minute drive one way, which is crazy. And so I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I thought, well, I'd like to do a podcast. So I thought, well, what's the best way to learn about non-clinical careers? Well, I'll just interview a bunch of people that are doing non-clinical careers and do a podcast at the same time. There must be some interest. So that's how I got started. Yes. And what has your experience been like in podcasting? Has it been as you expected it would be? 
I didn't know what to expect, but it's been rewarding. I really like it. Technology has become so simple that, you know, to produce a podcast 10 years ago would have been a nightmare. You would have had to host it yourself. And now you've got places where you just put it on a hosting site. And, you know, it takes a lot of steps to put together and a lot of planning to put together a podcast. But what I've learned about it, what I've learned to like more about it is in spite of myself being an introvert, podcasting is the best way to network. I have so many colleagues and friends that I consider now to be close friends. I mean, dozens and dozens of people like you who are doing podcasting or other things taught me about their non-clinical career or their coaching experiences or their consulting experiences. And I'm just almost overwhelmed by the people I've met and what I've learned in the last four years on this podcast that I'm doing. Yes, it is phenomenal in that way. And likewise, I find the same thing. Another person that I know you know is Bradley Block of another physician podcast. And when I was speaking with him, I asked him the same question, a similar question anyway, which is, if you're a physician who's considering starting a podcast, would you consider that to be a side hustle that is potentially income producing? What's been your experience there? Okay. So the way I look at a podcast is number one, for many of us, it starts as a hobby. A podcast is a platform that should be and can be used to promote your business. Most people, the podcast is not the business. I mean, unless you're Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or something like that, who make a lot of money on their podcast. Usually I look at a podcast as being a way to meet people, to do the interviews, to build an audience that I can address through email and sell courses to or coaching to or other things. So it's part of a business, but it most of the time is not a business in and of itself. Although I have a sponsor for my podcast. So, I mean, I make some money on the podcast directly. Terrific. Now, speaking of having a business, you also have Non-Clinical Careers Academy, which is a business that your listeners, I'm sure, are very interested in. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and how people can access that? Yes. So the genesis of that was about three years ago. I wanted to share what I've been learning, what I knew already about being, let's say, an executive in a hospital and that kind of thing and teach physicians because it seems like there's a lot of physicians who really become interested, but they don't even know where to start. I mean, that's a common question. Where do I start? And then, well, okay, once I start, then what do I do? You know? So again, the technology, it's so easy to create a video course or an online course of some sort and post it. You've got platforms now. So I just signed up with Teachable. So I'm going to create this academy. And basically I have lectures there, some solo, like individual lectures, some actual courses. For example, I have a course in there on how to become a medical science liaison, got courses on you know, how to become a physician executive. And it's just a place where it's easy to access for physicians. They can purchase individual courses if they have particular topics they're interested in. And we can engage on there, comment. And basically anybody that's in the academy can ask me questions. I pretty much provide free coaching in the sense that you know, I'll answer their questions and help hold their hand through the process. But most of the physicians come in and it actually has an option for a membership site where it's less costly and just pay monthly for as long as you need it. And they'll come in for six months or so and take whatever courses they want to do. And I usually add a new course or two every quarter. So there's like 23 or 24 courses and lessons in there. And it's just there as a resource for physicians who don't want to necessarily listen to a lot of podcasts or, you know, do a lot of research or read a lot of books and go and learn in the academy. 
Well, time is always our biggest limiting factor. So it sounds phenomenal to be able to go there and just immediately, you know, choose what you're most interested in learning about and focus on that. So hats off to you. It sounds like a fantastic resource. So with your knowledge, you've interviewed for the podcast, I think you're around 230 episodes in, is that correct? Yeah, I'm at about 230 episodes, but I do a lot of solo episodes too. And some of my guests come back for repeat appearances, but I've probably done about 140 or 150 interviews. So that's a number of people that I've talked to that are doing mostly non-clinical or non-traditional jobs, you know, because I do talk to people that invest in real estate or do locum tenens or do DPC or the non-traditional ways of practicing as well. So based on your experience and based on the knowledge you've accumulated from speaking with all of these people, What would you say to a physician who's interested in possibly pursuing a non-clinical career? What would you say are the top three best options? Well, I could look at that in different ways, but let me look at it this way. What are the three that I hear about most commonly as good entry-level starting job for somebody? And the ones I'm going to mention are actually all full-time, which I do recommend if you can do something part-time or do a pivot or a pilot or something, do that. But the ones that I see people going into because they're really frustrated or they're really unfulfilled in their practice is utilization management, which can be done for an insurance company. It can be done for a hospital. It can be done for a third-party company. It can be done remotely. It can be done on-site. So it's very flexible. Almost any practitioner, any specialty can do that. And so that's a common one. It's very popular. The second, I would say, is a medical science liaison. I had never heard that term until about four years ago, but I guess what I'm saying indirectly is pharma is the other area, but of the pharma jobs that are out there, which there are thousands of jobs and dozens of different jobs within pharma, the MSL seems to be one that's attractive because most anybody can get into it, including physicians who are not licensed or haven't done a residency because it's really based on your medical and scientific background. And then the third one would be some form of medical writing, because you can do that as a freelancer, as an employee, you can become an editor, you can do it all different ways. So those three, I guess, are the ones that come into my head, UM, medical writing, and some job in pharma, probably MSL. Would you say for those three that the compensation is comparable to what you may make as a clinician? Yes, it usually is. It's close, you know, especially if you consider the time, the hours, the lack of call, the liability costs, and the fact that you don't need insurance, blah, blah, blah. So some of those very startups, especially if you don't have the residency, you know, might be 150, 170, but pretty much are going to be around 200 equal to and above equal to what you would make as a, either a primary care doctor. Now, there are some specialists that go, let's say, into UM or benefits management, and they get paid very well because like if you're a radiologist and you're doing radiology UM reviews, you're going to be making good money, less than you would as an interventional radiologist, but still decent money and your lifestyle is going to be a thousand percent better. Fantastic. Now, you and I are both, I think, interested in the concept of financial independence. And certainly as entrepreneurs, I think you know we're universally interested in that. I think that's part of the motivation. I'm really also curious about the concept of side gigs versus full-time non-clinical work. What's your opinion and sort of how do you differentiate between those? And do you talk about side gigs on your podcast? Yeah, all the time. I've interviewed many people are doing side gigs. Kind of blown my mind in some ways. 
one of the things I've observed, for example, is there are people who are very busy as clinicians. They're not necessarily burnt out, but they're somehow unfulfilled. And they will take on a side gig. It could be a hobby. It could be something that they did when they were younger. And now they're bringing it back. I had one orthopedic surgeon working full-time who became a partner in an investment firm part-time. And he was happier doing that, even though he was super busy. Now, I think he has you know, maybe a risk of being coming burnt out, but he's actually more fulfilled and happy because he does both. And he has the ability to cut back on his clinical, do the side gig more. And there's many things like that. Small businesses, becoming a consultant, becoming a coach. Again, these things you can do full-time or part-time. But yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And also that thing is kind of, again, if you want to do it full-time, it's good to be able to do it part-time for a while first. I agree completely. And I think it definitely brings up the point that everything is not black and white, that, you know, we, I think as physicians tend to sort of think of it that way. And when you get in that position of feeling some burnout, it can feel like your only choice is to stay or go. And in reality, there is a lot in between that you can explore and working with coaches has really been a mind shift for me. And I'm hoping that other people will see that as giving them that potential ability to reflect, you know, with a coach and see things from a different perspective can open up doors so that you can see what's in front of you that maybe you just hadn't recognized was there before. And that includes not only side gigs as sort of a way of doing something that you enjoy on the side, but also a way of improving your income and giving you an option if you ever want to partially step out or eventually completely step out. It just opens up the options for you. So I love talking about this with you. I definitely hope that you'll be someone who is a repeat guest on our podcast. And I really appreciate you coming here today is Dr. John Jerica of Non-Clinical Physician Podcast and owner of Non-Clinical Career Academy. One other thing, Dr. Jerica, what ways can people get in touch with you? And if you don't mind, just telling me also quickly about your new project that you just launched. Oh boy. You know, there's so many different things that I could talk about because I don't know, over the years, I've just accumulated these things, but let me start with the most recent. So a partner and I, Tom Davis of Tom Davis Consulting, he's pretty well known in the non-clinical career fields. He teaches telemedicine. We started something called New Script. You can find it at newscript.app, A-P-P. So it's basically an app on your phone and it's all about non-clinical careers, but it includes any kind of licensed healthcare professional. So it's not just physicians, but most of the people in there now are physicians. We've been open for about a month and we've got around 300 members now. We want to grow it. It's sort of an alternative to a Facebook group because there's no ads. It's confidential. But again, we're opening this up to everyone who's in the healthcare team that has had burnout or want to try new things. So that's newscript.app. That's one thing. Everything for me is found at nonclinicalphysicians.com. You know, and rather than just go and look around my website, which, you know, is kind of boring in a way, but that's where my podcasts are. But if you go to nonclinicalphysicians.com forward slash seven zero jobs, seven zero J-O-B-S, I think people like to look at that because it's, it's a two and a half page sheet with the 70 non-clinical jobs that I'm aware of. There's actually more than 70, but it has a resource for each. So if you haven't had your mind blown yet about like what's out there, that's the easiest thing to do get that download, look at it, see what kind of resources might lead you to that job or if you want to learn more. And so that's probably the easiest way to get into my world because you'll probably start getting my daily emails. You can imagine that daily emails, that sounds bad, but it's actually very good. 
Terrific. That sounds fantastic. I can't wait to see that list and explore that as well. So thank you so much for providing that to our listeners. And if someone is interested in Non-Clinical Career Academy in terms of subscribing or purchasing that, is that also on the same site? Yes, you can find it there, but you can go directly to nonclinicalcareeracademy.com. And just by virtue of listening today, if you do see something that you want to, you know, enroll in, when you go to register, you can do the 20 off coupon code. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y-O-F-F, 20 off just for listening to this podcast episode and you get 20% off of whatever it is you decide to purchase of anything. Thank you. We will reference that in the show notes and we'll put some links there for anyone who's listening, who's interested. You'll be able to just click right through from our show notes. And thank you again, Dr. John Jerica, for coming on to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Jen. As a doctor, you've probably spent a lot of time comparing yourself to other physicians, and you might even have that imposter syndrome broken record playing around and around in your head. It's not very helpful. What you need is an experienced coach, one who works with physicians to help them build confidence from the inside out. Doctors who are coached report feeling more confident, which lowers their stress and helps them feel more at ease. That ultimately serves patients because what patient doesn't want to have a doctor that feels calm and confident? I'm Amanda Taran, producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Thank you for being here. Please check us out at docworking.com and please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you for listening.